Hi, uh, welcome to ADS Live. We are here with Spencer Nugent, our guest for this podcast. Um, and we have a live audience. You can't see them, but there's like 60 of them right behind this camera. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Spencer, thank you so much for being here. First and foremost, let's just dive in into Spencer, who you are, what you do, what is your origin, how did you get into industrial design? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, I actually came into industrial design through mathematics, which sounds weird, but uh, originally I'm from the island of Jamaica in the Caribbean, so grew up exposed to art. Um, my dad, he was a chemist, biologist, and a business leader for an orange juice factory. Sounds weird. But um, in his spare time, he'd paint. So at an early age, I was exposed to art. I didn't realize I could do anything with it um, in terms of building a career and uh, having a living, making a living. So kind of put that to the side, but I was always curious as a child, always breaking things, putting them together, generally a people watcher, you know, it sounds creepy, but um, I guess just more in tune with how people are and interact mm -hmm. with things. Um, so when I was in college, I decided I wanted to teach math, that's what I wanted to do, because I loved math in high school, and um, I went to high school in Jamaica, but went to college in the United States. Studied math for about two years, got into advanced calculus, and then realized when the numbers started disappearing, the fun went away. It wasn't so much the math that was enjoyable, it was the problem solving, um, which goes back to, you know, kind of what I love doing. And, you know, had an appreciation for visual arts as well. So, had a friend who, turns out I work with him now, um, but he told me what he does in college, this thing called industrial design showed me a website, some of his work, and I thought, well, this is pretty cool, you know. At the time, I just thought, okay, I get to work with computers, which I was interested in as well, did a little computer science, and, oh, you get to be artistic, cool, this, this sounds like a good thing. And so I decided to dive in and do it, and turns out I was okay at it, you know, and had a lot of fun doing it, so stuck with that. That's, that's kind of how I ended up in industrial design. Um, that's awesome. Um, I, I went into industrial design through set design. And if you guys don't know what set design is, is you read a play and then you design the set for it. Um, and then it was awesome until the play started to be like Shakespeare. So I'm like, I can't read Shakespeare. <laughs> so then that's when I transitioned over to design. So I think everyone has a very interesting story and in how we got to industrial design. Um, or even how, or even if you already knew you were going to do industrial design, how did you find out about it in high school? Um, but you went to BYU? I did. I went to BYU. It's Brigham Young University in Utah. Um, went there from 2004 to 2007. Yep. Something yes, like that. that's correct, according to your LinkedIn oh. profile. <laughs> um, Chi-Chi. What, uh, what, where's your intern? I know that you had a, a couple of illustrious internships I, I wouldn't say illustrious um, so as, as a student I was I was hungry I I quickly realized as soon as I started the degree that I was ill-equipped to excel 
unless I absorbed as much as I could from everyone and everything. So I would read, I would listen, I would follow people. Um, and this was pre-social media, so I tried to just absorb it all, and I'll get back to your, your question. But um, as far as internships go, the program, it was, it was a pretty good program at the time uh, with, with significant emphasis on building your core skills, uh, meaning you know, sketching and critical thinking and CAD, model making, that kind of thing. So in honing those skills and also seeing the requirement that we complete an internship as part of the program, I was an anomaly in the sense that I did my first internship as a sophomore. At the time, the requirement was that you do an internship as a junior. And um, my first internship was with Astro Studios in San Francisco. And there's a funny story there, how that happened. And uh, I was just hanging out with the junior students, which again, wasn't typical. I was just trying to absorb it all. And so I was hanging out in the junior studio, which again, I wasn't supposed to do. And my professor at the time comes out of his office, which happened to be just across the hallway. And he sees me, he's like, hey, I just got an email from Brett Lovelady looking for an intern. Are you interested? I thought, oh, yeah, sure, let's do this. So I put together a portfolio, or at least put some polish on it, sent it to Brett, thinking there's no way this is going to turn into anything. And uh, he gave me a chance. Um, I think my, my life is a story of chances. I think about my first job, my first um, internship. There have been very kind people that have given me a first chance and so Brett gave me a chance and the reason I call it a chance is it was a six-week opportunity which again wasn't typical um, what happened is they had some interns they had a six-week gap before the interns from mm -hmm. Art Center Art Center pardon me and uh, Cleveland Institute of Art were coming in so he needed a gap filler fortunately Brett had gone to Brigham Young University as well um, so literally I get to San Francisco and I'm sitting at the conference table because I don't have a desk. I'm, I'm just a filler intern. So every day I'd come into work, sit at the conference table, and just work hard and follow, you know, observe the other designers, see what they're doing, learn, absorb everything. Um, and it was a really humbling experience, but I, I did it, you know. Didn't complain, um, did the recycling like I had to and bagel runs, um, but learned a lot in that experience. So that was one of the internships. Um, that was my sophomore year, and then my junior year, I, I actually reached out to Brett again and for advice, because at the time I had a few opportunities. Um, I could have gone to Kyocera, Continuum, uh, Astro, GM, um, there were a few other firms that I was talking to as well, and so I had a choice to make, you know, one, one more opportunity before I became a senior. And so I reached out to him, and his recommendation was to do something completely different, do something out of your comfort zone. So of the options, I picked General Motors, and that was a great experience. Um, it was probably one of the hardest experiences of my life, um, stepping out of my comfort zone of product design and trying to do automotive design. So we have a lot of students in this room from different schools. We have students from... University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, University of Illinois at Chicago, Notre Dame, Western Michigan, who, I don't know, I'm sorry if I missed anyone else, but people who don't go to Art Center and go to Cleveland Institute of Art, what are some tips 
some advice if they want to apply for internships, regardless of whether they're second year, third year? Um, I think, so I've been doing this for a while, and meaning working, uh, applied for jobs, hired people, and this is all, take this with a grain of salt, because this is my perspective and my point of view, mm -hmm. but when I hire someone at a junior level or internship level, it's because I'm interested in you doing real work, so try to show a strong competency at those things that will get work done, like sketching, like critical thinking, like understanding things from a user perspective, but try not to get lost in the weeds of uh, user stories and uh, user-centered design. That's important, but that's something I think that you learn over time. Um, the more important thing is, hey, can you sit at the computer and do CAD for eight hours and give us something usable? Um, can you uh, iterate on this idea with these requirements and come up with a solution that is is useful in a reasonable time. Okay. Um, is there anything else that you look at, like, besides the core skills? Should the person be a good person? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, was just, I was just thinking, as I said that, you know, don't be a jerk, don't be an mm -hmm. asshole. Um, no one likes to work with people that aren't... Um, tolerable and personally I try to watch for that myself for me it's it's always been and always will be about the work not about pumping myself I don't you know beat my chest or anything like that and because it's it, frankly off-putting the community is small um, and, and there are characters out there that that have a tendency to um, inflate themselves and it doesn't it doesn't bode well um, there are people that I've encountered that um, you know, have done things in the community, and, and students even, and it, it follows you. So just just watch out for um, how you present yourself. I, I sometimes tell students, you know, you as a person, you're a design project as well. Um, so try to understand where you want to fit and what things you need to work on personality-wise or skill-wise to fit into the context um, in which you want to find yourself. Is it too early for students to, to start to think about having an ethos for their own, themselves, what they believe in, their vision? I don't think it's too early. Um, no, I don't think it's too early, but there, there comes a point in your career where you learn to find a balance between what you believe at your core and what a business might need. And there's different types and approaches to industrial design. Um, you know, we talked about that last night a little bit, just, just different aspects to it. You know, there's discursive design, and um, I forgot the names. I'm not gonna, Corporate. I'm not gonna pretend. Corporate, yeah. what were the other ones? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, point being, there's different approaches to this discipline, and so you get to decide, okay, what are my core values and how will I adapt those core values to work within the constraints of the direction my career is heading? So for example, in a consultancy, it's a little bit easier to, I think, at times, I'm gonna caveat this heavily, um, a little bit easier to hold on to those values and represent the values of that consultancy, particularly if they hired you for your values. It's a bit easier to maintain that vision, point of view, perspective through the project. Um, as a consultant, meaning individual consultants, which I've done, it's a little bit harder because you're having to um, essentially 
conform to the whims or desires of your client sometimes. sometimes in other words, sometimes you may work on a project that pushes against your values. Um, you may be working on something that, let's say you believe in sustainable design as a core principle, and everything you do comes from that point of view, um, but someone's throwing a lot of money at you and saying, hey, we want you to do this thing that pushes up against that core belief. Now you have a decision to make. Am I gonna compromise on those values, or am I gonna say no to the money? That's, that's, sometimes that's hard. Um, in corporate design, it's a little bit different because that paycheck's coming, um, but you find that you have to find ways to Package your values um, so that your your partners in the design process can accept and adopt those values as you go through the, yep. the, the design process. Okay. Now you have a very diverse resume, work resume. You've, <laughs> you've worked at consultancies, you've started your own businesses, and now you're in corporate with Vivint Smart Home. Can you tell us, can you share with us what are some differences um, as far as working in consultancies, working for yourself, and then not working in corporate America? Um, wow, that, that's, a, that, that's a pretty broad question. Yeah. So I'll, mm -hmm. just, I'll just speak to, I guess, my journey. Um, so in 2008, shit hit the fan, the world exploded, and the economy tanked. It was a dark time. I was at Astro, it was you know, happy times until that happened. And we had to, you know, we had to let some people go. And my turn came. And so my business partner and I at the time, we had a choice to make. Um, and I remember the day we went outside to the parking lot and we had a little conversation and we decided, yeah, let's, let's try and start our own business. Now, in hindsight, two years out of school, deciding to start a consultancy is just crazy. But some of the best things happen out of the craziest thoughts. Um, and for us, it was inc incredibly challenging. Um, starting from zero clients, trying to gain recognition, um, build relationships, understand how to run a business, how to start a business, run a website. There's a lot of stuff we had to learn in a short period of time. Um, but to answer your question, mm -hmm. or rather, well, I'll, I'll just leave that there. Um, the next phase, so I did that for about five years. Um, in that time, you know, there's, there's always, I believe in, in hustle, so there's always side hustles. Um, I've done custom furniture for, for clients, something I don't really put out there, but I do a lot of woodworking. And uh, custom furniture started the uh, ID sketching slash sketch a day effort, which turned into me traveling and doing workshops. Not really a, a I would say, not a, an income source per se, but my, my bet at the time was that I could create some goodwill that would help my business. And long term, it's played out that way. Um, then made the transition into uh, corporate America. And the way that happened was, as a consultant, I um, did some work for a client who ended up being one of my best friends and mentors who had this company called Space Monkey and that got acquired by Vivint. So he reached out to me one day and said, hey, if you want to get on board, now's the time. Just being kind of cryptic like, like he was at the time. And we thought, I asked, you know, what is this? What's going on? He wouldn't tell me much. And I just said, yeah, let's do it. Um, so they got acquired. I got um, 
moved into or pulled into that company. And corporate um, design has been a great experience for me because it's opened up the window of understanding of the life cycle of a product, where it comes from. Because um, I think with consulting, you focus in, um, well, there's, there's working at a consultancy where uh, you do work on the core design process, if you will, the traditional design process. Um, some of that gets expanded as they pull in other disciplines into the firm, like engineering or user research, um, or it might be branding, a graphic, you know, a graphics department. Um, but then when you go corporate, now you're talking, okay, there's business development and there's financial uh, dis uh, rigor or discipline that, that comes into play where you're having to be accountable for uh, showing the value of design in a broader context of a business. And those decisions aren't so much uh, emotional or ethereal or just uh, emotive, if you will, but they, they have to come from a principled place. So I've had to learn to articulate the value of design in that context to make sure that Again, those values, those core values are carried through uh, the life cycle of a product. But um, yeah, in the last few years, I've learned, I've learned a ton working, working in corporate design. Does that answer your question? I think so. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess the only time will tell when, I, when we, we look at the audio. Okay. Um, you started idsketching.com, which is essentially sketch a day, right? Kind of? Yeah, there's a story there. So, this summer, for those who weren't present, uh, we held a conference this summer called Square One, um, where we introduced an award called the Community Design Award. And the reason why this award was, um, how it came to be was we wanted to highlight, and um, we wanted to highlight some designers that were giving back to the community in a very selfless uh, way. So we, we awarded you the Community Design Award for your work um, for idsketching.com, yeah, Sketch a Day. And you, you've been doing that for almost 10 years now, where you just- A little over 10 years. You just give back, you do YouTube videos. Has anyone seen his YouTube videos online? Yeah? It's free, right? Isn't that like, that's, that's awesome. Like the, the fact that you find ways to give back to the community. I've used your work in my classes. You saved my but so many times, <laughs> um, like, yeah, uh, here, let's watch this video, and then I make it into, like, a lecture. Um, but, I mean, is that rewarding? I mean, what? why did you do it, and what do you get out of it? Is that rewarding? Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't ever think about the reward, which is, which probably sounds crazy, but I, I, I've been having a few conversations this weekend, and someone did ask a similar question. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I, I never expect anything from it, I never hope. I mean, sure, I want to be able to have it pay for itself because it costs money to buy markers and equipment. But other than that, um, I've never expected anything. As for how it started, it started in 2008, that dark year I mentioned. Um, and me and my uh, business partner at the time, John Mullenkamp, he's at GoPro now, awesome designer. Um, He's another guy, like, he, I'm going to go sure, on a tangent yeah. here. Uh, super awesome, awesome guy. You wouldn't, there are a lot of designers out there you don't even know exist that are just off the charts talented. He's one of those people. Um, so anyhow, we're sitting at work. So hey, John, props. Um, sitting at work, 
one day, and I think it was lunch or before lunch, um, he pulls up this YouTube video of someone sketching a car. I don't know who it is, so I'm going to make fun of him. It was horrible. Absolutely horrible. Like, probably one of the worst demo videos I've seen. And we were just dying laughing, and we didn't just leave it there. We said, hey, you know, we can do better than this. How about we, I think he said, how about we start a YouTube? It kind of escalated. How about we start a YouTube? And I was like, how about we do a blog? And turned into, well, now let's do a full website, which was, again, crazy, because I knew nothing of coding or any of that. I didn't even know WordPress existed. So I built my own CMS after teaching myself some PHP at the time and uh, just figured it out. And so we launched it. And there was kind of a, a vacuum, I guess, or uh, an opportunity there where, for me as a student, there was only Noman Workshop, which was prohibitively expensive as a student for me to gain access to. There were people putting work out there. Feng Zhu has always been an inspiration. Um, but we wanted to do something that was free and accessible, um, mm -hmm. something that uh, students like we were could access. And so we launched, and the response was bigger than we anticipated, and we had to shut it down. So because the server just couldn't handle it. Um, so we shut it down, discovered WordPress, relaunched it, and for a while had the blog. So that was idsketching.com. Sketch-a-day we started, well, it was more of a personal project of mine that kind of turned into something bigger because I found as a professional, when you transition from being a student to being a professional, where as a student everything is task-based, you have an assignment, you know exactly what to do, when to do it, how much of it to do and you do that and usually that's it and no more no less as a professional you don't really have that rigor that uh, discipline around consistent practice um, things are still assignment based but um, I wanted to improve my skills because I noticed that essentially I was getting lazy I was kind of coasting so the best way, I think, to make yourself better at something is to make yourself accountable. Well, not the best way, but uh, two things. Make yourself accountable and uh, set a goal. So I set a goal. I'm going to sketch every day, which admittedly I haven't sketched every day, um, or at least I haven't posted every day. But the internet is great at keeping you, keeping you on your promises. Yeah. Um, when you don't sketch, they let you know. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's bad, they let you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so... Um, you essentially, I honestly do believe this, and I don't know if you agree, but you were honestly responsible for bringing industrial design to the internet. I don't know if you know that, but it, it's honestly like it's true. When I was a student, um, I mean, there was Core seventy seven at the time. The but world looked so di I, there wasn't even Facebook when I started. Right. So this was two thousand eight. 2009. Yeah. So I was a student. I learned how to use Photoshop with one of your tutorials. It, I oh, just, really? Yeah. And then wow. I showed it to my, my class and they were like, oh my God. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, but honestly, like before any of that, you had to learn about industrial design through books. Yeah. There was nothing on the internet about, yeah, there was course name seven, but there wasn't anything like tutorial wise, hands on. Um, it was all just books. And who wants to look at books, right? So you really brought industrial design to the internet. Um, this is 2008. That's not even a long time ago. It's That's 10 like years 10 ago. years ago. Um, so I honestly 
feel that you did pave the way for a lot of students present and a lot of students who now with the age of Instagram and social media, um, you're still here. So that's awesome. Still kicking. Yeah. So moving on to now that we're talking about Instagram, let us tell us about (laughs) this is a very touchy subject because social media is great, but could also be kind of toxic not so great it's a good tool for us designers to really promote our work um do you have anything to say about that (laughs) (laughs) um well i'll just paint a picture of what the world was like before social media and what it's like after um before social media it was very difficult for someone to build an audience and to you had coraflot you had coraflot Mm -hmm had Core 77, there was product design forums, but that was pretty much it, at mm-hmm. least that I, I spent most of my time on Core 77 mm-hmm. and product design forums, and so to, to really make an impact or get your work seen, it was, I mean, Behance didn't even exist, um, so to get your work seen, you had to build your own blog or website, uh, and, this was before and pray Squarespace. and hope that someone noticed it with your wicked SEO skills, yeah, this is before Squarespace. Um, so it's it's incredible the opportunity that people have today to essentially be their own TV station. Now, not all TV is good, so I think with social media now, it's it's also it's nice to see how technology can enable uh, people to connect. Like that's in in concept, that's a great thing. Um, I'm grateful for it because you know. It takes a lot of time to produce content or build a website or whatever. And the more accessible those tools are, the better it is for everyone. Um, I think with social media, and, and this isn't so much limited to the stuff we show on our personal accounts, um, it's also extends to work. What you see isn't necessarily reality. Um, everything's filtered um, figuratively and literally through, you know, I get to be judicious about what I post and when I post. Um, if, if a sketch has a wonky ellipse, you might not see it. I try to keep it real. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's cool to see how the world has changed and how accessible um, design is. I remember uh, trying to find inspiration, like find inspirational artists or designers to follow. Like you had to go there, go to websites like Lemonouche or which you know came along later, or simcom.com was another one, um, and download those images and save them on your hard drive, which, which sounds nuts. Pinterest didn't even exist. Um, so yeah, we live, we live in an exciting time, man. Um, I, yeah, I'll leave it at that for now, and if you have any, if you have any follow-ups. <laughs> do you have, do you, what if students are looking for references on how to sketch online, like you said? Sometimes what you see on Instagram might not be... Sometimes that isn't a reflection of industrial design or sketching. I think everyone is trying to... You see a finished sketching and you're like, oh my god, my work has to be like that. It does. Right? But it does. It doesn't. Just kidding. Well, just it kidding. doesn't, yeah. Just um, so sometimes students struggle with that. Just yeah. as an educator, I see some students like they like, oh, here's my rendered whatever I did and then I can see where they got influence from Instagram and I was like well 
you know, a, a big part of design, as I'm listening to you and thinking, is uh, communication, and that involves listening. So it might be listening to uh, your peers, it might be listening to customers, it might be listening to uh, the needs of a business, interpreting those needs, and executing or, re or uh, reciprocating that c communication through a physical good or it might be a user experience or a service design, right? Um, super important part of the process. And social media allows us to do that, allows us to communicate. Um, I was also thinking as, as we're sitting that with social media, it gives you this false sense of success and what value means. So value isn't necessarily tied to, like if, if you as students or professionals are putting your stuff out there, there's almost this built-in anxiety about whether or not someone's gonna notice it and the value we attribute to those things being derived from likes or comments or follower account, it doesn't matter, none of that matters. It's really just the quality of the work. Um, and being authentic and genuine, those are, I guess in my journey, um, I've had ups and downs, I've had life events and things happen, um, but you can't, you can't hold on to this idea that, or you, you can, you shouldn't hold on to this idea that, um, you know, the value of your work or your effort is, is uh, measured in those likes or in those notices or messages or whatever. Um, people say horrible things too online, you know, but that doesn't mean that you're a horrible person. Um, I could open up my YouTube comments right now and show you some, some of the worst I think I did a post. Why don't you tell ago. us one? No. <laughs> oh no. It's fine. Um, no, we'll keep it here. We'll keep horrible it. stuff. Um, so my point in saying all this is, yeah, social media is a great communication tool. Um, try not to get caught up in the idea that your follower account is um, representative of your value. Like I know, like crazy talented designers that don't even exist on social media that would blow any of the peers that we have away in terms of um, the quality of their work. The other thing that's, I think, dangerous, and I've been thinking about quite a bit, um, and something I've tried to do, when someone calls me out and says, hey, this ellipse that you did, or this line, or whatever, this sketch is kind of busted, I don't try to dismiss it. I'll acknowledge it and encourage them to show me better, right? So, encourage dialogue. Um, but the other thing is, uh, See, I lost my train of thought a little bit. Um, with follower account, it's important. Like, I think it was, isn't it Uncle Ben, that quote from Spider-Man? <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. So I try to be very careful that I'm showing, we talk, I talked about filtering, that I'm showing and teaching good things. Like, I've seen instances where, yeah, someone has a lot of attention or... A follower account, but they're just doing some uh, some things that will do more harm. And so it's important to make sure if you do have that influence, like if you've gotten to that point in your social media influence, you have a responsibility. Like, yeah, you, you almost have an inherent responsibility to not lead people astray, create a, a false impression of what good industrial design is or good uh, user experience design or whatever it is your your posting might be woodworking. Like, try and show the right things, um, because we, especially nowadays, I don't want to get too political, like, everything's so subjective, and where there's consensus, there is, uh, 
a determination that this is objective fact and truth. And so coming full circle, follower count does not equate to, um, hey, this, this is necessarily valuable. You have to kind of suss that out for yourself. Um, you know, maybe compare other designers that um, have good work, but just because something's interesting doesn't mean it's it's good for you. No. Kind of like, you know, McDonald's French fries. They're pretty tasty, though. So what we're going to do now is okay. we're going to open it up to the audience. So if anyone has any questions, we'll take those questions now, and then we'll have you answer them. All right. So not all at once, right? Any questions? Yes. So the question is, at the beginning of the podcast, I, I mentioned uh, not getting lost in the weeds of uh, user-centered thinking or design and approaching things from a practical sense. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. Um, and are there any examples of, of when I've uh, seen or done that? Um, yeah, there's, there's times where I've, I've worked with uh, junior designers who become so obsessed with building a user scenario or story or trying to do this on their own, the research, the um, come to the uh, conclusions or outcomes of the research that we miss the opportunity to actually execute on the design. And I've seen where there almost becomes a, or not becomes, or a love affair kind of starts to um, be created with this, uh, or rather, I'll put it this way, that process or that part of the process gets romanticized and placed above the practical execution of design. So if you're a junior designer, I, I would suggest uh, listening. Um, take an opportunity to listen, take an opportunity to, to question and understand. If you're, for example, in a corporate environment um, and you're being asked to do execute on a task, hey, I need and you should ideate on this lamp, for example, and we need 50 concepts. Um, try not to say, hey, well, when I was in school, we did it this way. We came up with a, a user human who you know, has two and a half children and lives in Wisconsin and you know, whatever. Like, try not to get lost in that, is what I'm saying, and just ask questions like, okay, what is it you're trying to do or what is it, you know, can you help me understand a bit more the process or what, you know, just, just ask the right questions so that you can understand and learn from that process versus necessarily trying to push back um, and frame things in your own way. Yeah. Yes. Um, could you speak on like some of the doubts you had maybe as a student and um, not knowing your direction uh, can I speak to the doubts I've had as, as a student and not knowing the direction as end? Um, that was that was challenging. I, I remember working on a project for Intel. Um, we were working with small businesses, and we it was pretty open ended. It was junior year, so at this point they, you know, kind of took their hands off the wheel a bit as far as the teachers go and uh, our mentors, 
and kind of let us run because at that point we should have had a, a decent understanding of the, the toolkit that we were going to use to solve this problem. And the problem was, um, well, the problem wasn't even defined. It was, hey, go talk to small business owners and see what opportunities there are for Intel to leverage this technology in that context. That was pretty much the ask. So I had a lot of anxiety and, and trepidation about going into the process because at this, this was my first experience where, like I said, teachers kind of took a step back, the uh, sponsor kind of took a little bit of a step back, and things were, were framed uh, in a vague way. But my advice or um, recommendation and what helped me was in light of that ambiguity, just taking a step forward. Um, that was probably the most helpful thing because in taking that step forward, it builds your faith and courage and confidence in executing. And sure, you're gonna make mistakes and mess up and, um, you know, but that's why your, your, your teachers and mentors are there. Um, you can ask questions and, and get feedback, pay attention to the feedback that you get. Um, try not to uh, get lost in, again, romanticizing your own work and getting too attached to it, but look at things objectively, take a step back when you can. Um, but as far as the uncertainty goes, yeah, it, it really is just about, and this, I guess this is just life advice, just taking that step and believing that um, what you're doing is, is going to be for your benefit. Because even if you fail, even if you mess up, you're going you're gonna to be able to learn from that, op that opportunity. Yeah, I think some, some people, like we graduated during the recession. Some people might graduate when there's everyone is hiring. Yeah. And so you just never know and yeah, you just gotta kinda prepare. Like always. Like don't put your guard down, right? Yep. Yeah. Question over here. And that makes a lot of sense because it's like the commenters would be like, why didn't you call? Yeah. But um, what would be some suggestions, like, if you didn't have that, like, what, what would you, like, suggest to kind of keep you on track? Okay. Um, good question. So it was around the internet, keeping you accountable, and what are some good suggestions for if you're not using the internet to keep yourself accountable? and motivated. Uh, I'm adding motivation. I've, I'll give you a couple examples. So at Purdue they have this thing called Sketch Squad and it's a little bit of a club on campus and you know it's, it's not traditional ID sketching I would say if I'm speaking out of turn Purdue I'm sorry. Um, it's more about uh, what would you say storyboard sketching? Sketch notes. Sketch notes. Right. Um, Creighton Berman being the grandfather of that, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, but Teddy Lou is, is their professor, and so they get together every week, so setting a cadence for checking in, right? They get together every week, and it's a group of friends. They do activities outside of that club. So it's not just, hey, we're just here to draw, peace out, I don't care about you. Um, in fact, yesterday they went bowling to kind of uh, build that friendship. So that's one example. When I was in school, we had, uh, I forgot the name of it, it was like, Sketch club, I don't remember. Sketch team, I don't remember. But I led that, and it was an opportunity for you to work with other students. Um, so they, they typically put someone who was, uh, I would say, above average at sketching in charge, and then other students would come in for help. But that was also a good way to be accountable. Um, you can set challenges with friends. So right now, I'm actually doing another 500 pages of sketches. I've fallen a little bit behind. 
Um, but I do have kind of a, an accountability buddy in that effort who checks in um, to make sure I'm, I'm keeping up on things. So it's more, it's, it's less about making the internet your uh, accountability partner, but someone who is, is willing to uh, check in, um, someone you're willing to, I would say, tolerate and also, you know, spend time with is, is also good. Yeah. Got a question online. Do you think Instagram should be a reflection of professional design practices or an investigation into things you can tackle in a professional setting? Do you think Instagram should be a representation of professional practices or more of a representation of investigatory design? Is that fair enough? Okay. Um, that's a good question. There, there are times when I'll sketch something and I'll get a comment. Someone says that there's no way that'll work. <laughs> and I just kind of chuckle and I think, yeah, you're right. It's a sketch. Um, so I'm okay with that. I, I believe that as long as you're, you, the person that's presenting the work, is open and authentic and honest and willing to receive that feedback in a constructive way, I think there's nothing wrong with posting investigative uh, designs or speculative designs, if you will. Um, the, the, the caution is if you're posting things and asserting that your work is good and use leveraging your influence, um, meaning your reach, to create a false perception of what good design is, that's where it gets a little bit iffy. Um, and truthfully, that's somewhat subjective. Um, it's really on the person who has that influence to be judicious about what they post and, and you know that power, that influence is inherent with your reach. So just be careful about making sure that, hey, when I draw something, I do it the right way, or hey, when I, when I put this design out there and assert that it'll work, even though I haven't prototyped it, um, making sure that I've thought through this, this process um, because you know students are impressionable especially. There are times when I've met people who say, oh, I found you when I was in elementary school, which makes me sound old, or high school or whatever. Um, now I'm in industrial design and I go, oh, I hope this is literally what I think. I, I hope that the things I've shared are for your benefit and not to your detriment. Um, because there's a lot, there's a lot of power and influence in, in what we do nowadays. No. Uh, we had a question over here. Um, as a person who has a minor in something completely unrelated to industrial design, um, I worry sometimes about like falling behind my peers um, because I'm not, or like I'm worried about shooting myself in the foot because I'm not doing ID only all the time. Um, do you think that there is any value in, in like having other? Okay, so questions about minors or other interests and concern about that detracting from the main pursuit of being an industrial designer in school. I actually think you're better than your peers because you're able to kind of manage both. Um, I shouldn't say better. You, you may have an advantage, you know, you may have an advantage in the sense that there are times when I regret not taking that sewing class in school or not um, taking a sociology class that I, I was in, interested in. You know, here I am 13 years later and I'm thinking, man, I wish I wish I'd, you know, minored in computer science or I wish I had taken an additional gra graphic design or food economics class. <laughs> food economics. Um, I don't know, whatever the case may be, if you're interested in something, the, the, the most talented well, I shouldn't say the most talented. Some of the most talented and interesting designers I've met 
are ones who've come from a, an unconventional background or they have some other major or minor, pardon me, um, that supplemented their industrial design. So a couple of examples, I met an industrial designer who uh, got into the profession after doing years of study to become a microbiologist and actually was practicing and then transitioned to industrial design. Awesome guy. Um, there was another one who came from business. I mean, engineering is somewhat typical. It's a, a, a simpler transition. But yeah, some of the most interesting people I've met have had that diverse background. And it's not just diversity in study, it's diversity in culture and diversity in you know, where you're from. Like, those are things that can help. Um, my mentor, uh, one of my mentors, Brett, said to me at a breakfast one day um, as we were catching up, he said, you know, when I hire someone, I hire them because they know something I don't know. So think about that. You know, as you go into a job interview or searching for opportunities, ask yourself, what do I know that this person doesn't know? And what, what, can, I, what can I bring to the table? What can I offer? What additive thing can I bring to this uh, experience? I think I might have to go back to school. <laughs> uh, I feel that way yeah. all the time. Jeez, yikes. Yeah. Question over here. No, you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to summarize that by saying, when do you know it's good enough? A design? Yeah. Is that fair In enough? That context, In the context of ideation. When do you know something's good enough? Um, some of it's honestly just trial and error. It's having a good mentor, a good uh, design leader that you're working with, design partner that can help guide you and point out the winners, so to speak. And over time, you're able to suss out a pattern of okay, I spent, let's say maybe I spent two minutes on this sketch and that's the one that they went for. Um, I'm gonna try and, and limit my activity. Setting constraints for yourself isn't a bad thing, by the way. Um, it actually helps you hone in and focus on your process, um, sharpen your process rather. So um, those are two things that can help. Setting constraints for yourself, paying attention to feedback, um, looking at other designers' work as well to understand you know, because there's a lot of things that go into, I think, picking a good design. Does it meet the functional requirements of the problem? Um, is it aesthetically pertinent to the visual language that I've set? Does it address this user need? Um, is it commercial and marketable? Like, those are all things that you're, you're having to think through as you sketch. Um, as far as the execution of the sketch, it's up to you to determine based on how quick you are, proficient, efficient with your time, um, as to how much time you want to spend on that thing. What makes a good portfolio? <laughs> what makes a good portfolio? Wow, we could we could have a master class on that alone. There's an idea. Um, I think the best portfolios I've seen. Well, I'll tell you some things to stay away from. We'll we'll just make this kind of humorous. Uh, don't put a picture of yourself in your portfolio, preferably uh, with clothing on. That that would be <laughs> ideal. Uh, don't steal other people's work. It's happened before. Um, Try not to overrepresent yourself and your, your abilities. Um, let's see. This is like I said. This is going to be a series of, of don'ts. Uh, don't be thoughtless. 
Um, in other words, be, be conscious and aware of a user or a business need or um, it could be a social need and express that in your portfolio. I want to see, again, that you're able to execute, depending on the level that we're hiring at, I want to be able to see that you're able to execute those basic tasks, whatever the job requires, whether it's sketching or graphic design layout or it could be user research, whatever the position is you're applying for. Um, I assume you're an industrial designer. So good understanding of three-dimensional composition and form development um, as expressed through sketching or CAD or model making. Uh, do you, and, and not just the portfolio, but as you go into interviews, um, like Hector mentioned earlier, are you a jerk? Um, are you someone that someone would want to work with? Can you uh, speak articulately and express coherent thought? Just a lot of those things. Let's do a couple more questions and then we will, yeah, go ahead. Um, does inclusive design really exist? Does inclusive design really exist? I'm not sure what you mean by inclusive design, so maybe not. Um, I'll interpret that as design by committee, and yes, it exists, but it's very painful. Um, I think <laughs> design, <laughs> designs, um, particularly visual design, is challenging in the sense that we should be subject and domain uh, ex experts in what we do and represent the field as such. However, there are times when people feel like they need to be included in the process when they shouldn't be because they aren't trained as such. And I've thought about this quite a bit and I think it boils down to the fact that design is so typically tangible or it's something to be experienced, whether it's in a product or a service or a user, user experience. And so they think, oh, I can see this, I can interact with it, that means I can comment on it, I can, I can contribute as well. Great, nice thought. But if I walk over to an engineer hacking up some code, I'm not going to pretend that I know how to speak their language or understand their process. I may appreciate the outcome, but it doesn't mean that I'm necessarily equipped or qualified to execute. Right, and so that's that's been part of my challenge. I'm not sure if that mean if that's what they mean by exclusive design, but or inclusive rather. Um, but I would say yes, involve people at the appropriate times, but um, healthy boundaries and healthy respect for uh, expertise is is important as well. Yeah, let's do one more question, and then right here. Um, this is an aspiring industrial designer with all the sketching and. Um, like practice that you hold yourself to to like improve in your skill and like like in addition to the work that you do like professionally, um, how would you say how would you describe like the balance between like work and like the rest of life? Oh, that's a good question. How much time do we have? Work life balance. We got like what? Two Couple minutes. minutes yeah. Okay, I'll take sixty seconds. Uh, so the question was, as an aspiring designer and while you're trying to practice hone your skills, right? How do you find a good balance between work and life? I think over time that balance shifts quite a bit and depending on your career choice, this is my visual. This isn't Wakanda, that's Wakanda. <laughs> uh, so as a student, I, I say you're, you're training yourself and building those skills and it's important to just, you know, if, if it's fun versus schoolwork, for me it was, fun was just zero and it was all work because I realized 
that the stakes were high. If I didn't execute at a high level, I wasn't going to get a job. I wasn't going to um, not just get a job. I wanted an awesome job. I didn't want to just wash out and, and design toasters the rest of my life. No offense if you design toasters, because um, there are some cool toasters out there. But over time, you find that as your career progresses that you either transition into opportunities that are more flexible. Um, some companies, in fact, nowadays give you flexible work scenarios. You might be able to work remotely or um, have additional vacation time, uh, things like that. Um, so that's, that's the nuts and bolts part. I think it's also important, however, to um, find your passions and feed your passions outside of work. So if, if design is your work, um, take time to yourself. Take time to, in, in my case, I like to travel, so I travel a lot. Um, go to a lot of uh, concerts um, I karaoke I do lots of karaoke yes this is true um, I also enjoy like I said woodworking and crafting and you know just kind of tinkering so those are those are things I try to to do outside of work but also it's important to have friends it's all about finding that balance but I, the short answer is over time in your career you'll find that those opportunities to find balance, balance will become more prevalent than they might appear to be at the onset of your career where it's demanding and you're the one that's expected to work 80 hours a week while others don't. Like, that's that's just the nature of things. Mine was fun and work like that. <laughs> so that didn't really work out for me. But uh, I have one more question. Checks or stripes? Stripes over checks, man. All right. That's cool. Um, I'll take the checks. But thank you so much for being on the podcast. Let's give him a round of applause. Right. Um, if you want to, um, yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll have more podcasts in the future. We'll upload this as soon as we can. Uh, yeah, but thank you so much. Yep. Thank you.